Hello, and welcome to the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, recorded in beautiful downtown Elk River, Minnesota, right on the banks of the Mississippi River. Today we'll explore the Bible, life, and faith. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some sacred wit. To be powered by love is a spiritual thing, more than a feeling. To be powered by love Don't take money Don't take fame Don't take no credit card To ride this train It's strong and sudden It's cruel sometimes But it might just save Your life To be powered by love I'm Pastor Nathan Mugas, pastor here at Elk River Lutheran Church. I'm Lisa Sampson, Director of Children, Youth, and Family Ministry. And I'm Taylor Quinn, the Director of Music and Worship. And uh, we are excited to be entering into this David series here today where uh, we're exploring this theme of David, almost perfect, but not quite. And uh, through this series, we are not only going to be exploring the stories of David, which really will be the focus of the series, but also uh, through these next several weeks, we'll be looking at Psalms. Because one thing we know about David is uh, he wrote a lot of the Psalms. About half of the Psalms in the Bible were written by David. And so uh, we'll be spending some time in these Psalms. And that's where we're going to start here today with Psalm 139, the first 14 verses. So uh, this is Psalm 139. And as we read it, uh, I want to encourage you to listen for words or phrases that jump out to you, that speak to you. Because the Psalms are, you know, some of the most, I think, engaging and human uh, writings in the Bible. And as I read them, different words jump out at me at different times. And so uh, with that in mind, listen for words and phrases as we read through Psalm 139 here today. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. Amen. Amen. Well, I invite you to ponder what words in that psalm are speaking to you uh, here today. If you're on live uh, with us, we'd love for you to chime in and share uh, in the comments what what words or phrases are jumping out to you. And I guess I'd ask that to you, Lisa and Taylor, here. Uh, What are phrases or words that speak to you from this psalm this morning? 
This is one of my favorite psalms. Um, I've been doing for many years something called Gab Night, Girls Are Beautiful, a workshop for middle school girls. And we dwell in this text, and especially that last part, for you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, because a lot, of, a, a lot of us sometimes forget that we are made by God and, and God doesn't make mistakes and we are all very special. And so that's, that's what speaks to me here. I, I like the one that's um, verse 12. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. Um, when, we, when we face those moments, the darkest night of the soul, yeah. uh, this, that verse is really nice to know that. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's so interesting. That's, when I was reading this psalm earlier, I was kind of drawn to that first, first set of phrases where it starts... Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. I think, wow, what it is to be known by God. That can be a really great feeling or a not-so-great feeling mm -hmm. if maybe there are parts of you that you would rather not have known. But then this time as we read through it, Taylor, I was drawn to that same section too. And I think that's what's so fascinating about the Psalms is like here this is just a couple hours later from when I was first reading this this morning, and, and I'm hearing it differently because I'm thinking, so many of us are going through a pretty dark time right now. And here's this amazing promise that not only is God with us there in the darkness, but, you know, with God, even darkness is like light. That, you know, God's light outshines the darkness. And in a dark time, that's a helpful and nice promise. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, really, really do encourage you to dwell in these psalms uh, over these next several weeks, including this one, uh, Psalm 139, for here today, because there is some real, real depth to these. And uh, we're going to continue now by reading a story of the psalm writer himself, David. Uh, like I said, over the next several weeks, we're going to read some of these stories of the life of David. And uh, this is where his journey uh, kind of begins here from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, the, his anointing and being chosen to be king. And so Taylor's going to start off reading for us. You bet. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If, Sam, if Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do, and you shall anoint for me the one whom I named to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourself and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abin Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither the Lord has chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set off and went to Ramah. Well, uh, we had fun on Wednesday digging into this story. Uh, when you say uh, we had fun digging into this story and all of the texts surrounding it, some of the background of the characters and the area. And we did that as a part of our Sacred Wit video project that uh, goes live on Wednesdays, as well as then the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast. So if you haven't checked that out or seen or are unaware of us doing that, I want to encourage you, you're invited to go back following uh, this listen and, and check that out because we do go more in depth into the context and uh, some of that background information I think can be really interesting mm -hmm. as we uh, read this story. And so I, I guess with that, uh, that's an invitation for you to go back and listen. If you haven't yet, you can find that on either YouTube or or in Facebook, uh, or on the Elk River Lutheran Church Powered by Love podcast, wherever you find podcasts. And so uh, you can check that out. Uh, but I'd ask you, uh, Lisa and Taylor, uh, with that kind of conversation that we had earlier this week in mind, some of that background and, uh, you know, having heard the story earlier in the week, what comes to your mind or jumps out to you now in this uh, other reading as we're reading it here this morning? I think about um, David as as the one that's not in with the big brothers, and yeah. he's maybe out watching those sheep going, wow, something really cool is happening there. Or maybe he's a little envious. I'm sure. not sure which. Yeah. But, but I wonder how David feels about them being brought in and finding out that that honor that he thought would be bestowed on one of his brothers was actually onto him. Yeah. Makes you wonder. I mean, he's probably at one point when someone comes out and says it wasn't any of us you know he's like oh i really was excited huh. i thought it was going to be one of yeah. us you know maybe mm -hmm. not yeah. even assuming that it could be him you <laughs> right. know because you know he's just been written off and mm -hmm. probably wrote himself off or that, maybe he's grumbling choosing. it could be that as oh, well that seems like the youngest, <laughs> yeah. youngest sibling thing to do huh? yeah <laughs> do we talk about how old he may have been I don't know if it gave us an exact that? age or number. In my study Bible, it says that he was in his early 20s when, okay. when all this was started, when Goliath happened anyway. So sure. probably late teens. So not as young as maybe the Sunday school storybooks show sure. him as being like, you know, like an eight or nine or 10 year old. I think he was a little older than that. According right. to my study Bible. I think wow. with David and Goliath, we think of him like as the Dennis the Menace kind of slingshot kind yeah. of image. You know, he's this little <laughs> kid, you know, which maybe he was just a little shorter, which is also kind of, you know, part of the story, it seems, that his brothers were all taller. So, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting question, though. Yeah. I, I remember, we talked about this on Sacred Wit, too, or Jeremy alluded to it during Sacred Wit, um, that all this was done in secret. Yeah. yeah, which is crazy. And now having read it, I'm going, oh yeah, wow. I mean, this is this is this is covert operations to choose this king. And yeah, I think that's crazy. And to live in that knowledge for yeah. David from now until he is officially made king to the public, to live under the the guise under just under the wire as life goes on, and later on. 
when he becomes a musician for Saul. Yeah. You know, just crazy. Yeah, because that's, for those of you who don't know some of the background of the story, so Samuel has been chosen to choose the next king. He chose the first one too, Saul, and so now he's going out to choose the next king. Well, guess who's not going to be real thrilled about there being a new king? current king, mm-hmm. <laughs> Saul. And so the the next several chapters of this book of 1 Samuel are about that kind of tension that exists after this point where David has been chosen to be the new king, but he's not the new king yet. So like the hand of God is upon him, it says, and uh, like he's blessed in all these ways. He can fight giants. He's an amazing musician and poet and psalm writer. Uh, but he's not quite king yet. And so there's this real kind of tension with it too. Yeah, Yeah, it's a fascinating dynamic of these stories, this one and all the ones going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that kind of stood out to me in this is the character of Jesse. Uh, Jesse is David's father. And, uh, you know, I think it's so interesting because he, one of his sons is going to be chosen to be king, and it ends up being David, uh, who isn't even brought into the house. Like he alluded right. to, he's out in the pasture with the sheep, and so he's like this unlikely, uh, unlikely chosen one. And you know, so much of time in, in the Christmas time, especially, we hear language for the root of Jesse. You know, it shows up in music and and imagery as being you know the root of Jesse because David. David is this great king, and Jesus is identified as a descendant of, of King David. And so there's this connection where you know, while David is like the unlikely king, Jesus then gets cast in that mm-hmm. same light of the unlikely king, the unlikely Messiah, who they may have hoped or expected a Messiah who would come with a sword and conquer their enemies. And he came conquering with a kind of selfless love that was something totally um, unlikely and that, that's kind of a tie back to this too with that root of Jesse imagery that gets you know applied then forward to, to Jesus as well. One of the other parts I think of this you know story is when we think about Samuel um, he uh, is asked to go and choose the king so he shows up in secret like you said Taylor uh, he shows up he walks in and he sees Jesse's oldest son Eliab, Eliab, and he says, oh yeah, that's the king. Look at this tall, uh, you know, burly guy, handsome. That is exactly the kind of uh, king he's got to look. And uh, then verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I love it. It's beautiful. Beautiful sentiment. And yet, one of the most delicious ironies in this text that we read here today, they're giving me a hard time for calling it a delicious irony, but I think it is. Um, uh, Because what happens immediately after then is once David comes in and is chosen, you know, it lifts up this whole idea, you know, humans, yeah, you look at the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. And as soon as David comes in, the writer of 1 Samuel here goes into how handsome he is, right? It says, oh, now David, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. It totally focuses on his outward appearance. And so on the one hand, it seems like such a crazy contradiction. And yet it's also this total affirmation that we as people, you know, God may be calling us to look at people's hearts, to look a little deeper into people. And yet we as people, even people who write the Bible, uh, have this tendency 
to look on that outer shell, to judge the book by the cover. And so, you know, I think for us to think about, you know, is this question in everyday ways, what does it look like for us to look on the hearts of people around us instead of those outward appearances, those first impressions? What would that look like for us? And how do we do well? How do we not do well, maybe, is uh, another way of thinking about it. Well, I think it's important to remember or to, to, to practice self-examination when you meet, when you see people just in general. How are you responding to what they look like? And, you know, and I think from that, then you discover if you do judge someone by, by what they look like or you do wait until you get to know them. I will admit, I will confess, when I look at individuals, it's so easy to judge them. Yeah. But I've also noticed that, that once you get to know someone and that mystery is taken away, they become a real human being. Yeah. Um, and I think that's valuable and something worth practicing. And I got to remind myself every day to, to hold back before I judge someone on how they look and maybe give me a chance to get to know them first. What I've noticed, exactly what you said, what I've noticed is that people that I originally thought were really attractive, good-looking people, and I've gotten to know them, and they're not very nice. <laughs> Their attractiveness diminishes. Mm-hmm. Yet, if you get to know somebody who maybe is just very ordinary, sure. man, those people get to be beautiful, handsome, as you get to know their heart because they are beautiful people. And that kind of overshadows that. And I've learned that uh, over the years that... Even those really attractive people cannot be that attractive on the outside if they're not a good heart. Yeah, I think that judging can go in all kinds of different directions, yeah. right? I mean, we can so quickly judge people. And you know, that's what I always say, judge, don't judge a book by the cover. And yet, man, I mean, I think it's probably a reason why this is written like this in the story because we're so, so uh, vulnerable to that. You know, one of the stories I thought of of, of judging, so on first impressions, I thought back to... Um, when I met someone, a friend in, in seminary for the first time. And so this was like the summer after my first year of seminary. So second year of seminary, I'd been there at Luther Seminary for a year. I was living in Bachman Hall, the dorms at the seminary. And uh, I, I remember you know walking into the dorm one day and here is this dude. Uh, who I'd never seen before, and he's up there. So he's up in the part where just the students are, so apparently he must be moving in or visiting someone. I don't know. Uh, here's this dude, and he was this you know, tall, handsome guy, big, long goatee, uh, cool <laughs> armband tattoo, uh, you know, muscly guy, and uh, just super, like, yeah, he was handsome, just like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, um, you know, I, I don't want to over stereotype uh, we pastors and seminary <laughs> folks, but um, yes, we're not don't. the coolest. And people, you know, you know, the ladies weren't lining up at Bachman Hall to check out the studs who lived there. Let's maybe say it that way. Um, and so all of a sudden I'm seeing this guy, I'm like, what is he doing here? I mean, it looks like he just like just came off the snowboard mountain, you know, and he had. Uh, he had spent years uh, at Breckenridge snowboarding and, uh, and working there. And so anyway, uh, before I could go too far in judging him, like, who are you? What's going on? He was coming right to me to introduce himself. And so we talked for a long time that day and you know, just became great friends over the next few years, uh, living together and just um, 
going through seminary together. And uh, he's this amazing guy who I, you know, could have tried really hard. It could have just said, oh, he's too cool. I, you know, I, I feel inferior. I, you know, I, I'm not cool enough to hang out with him. I don't even want to try. And he could have done the same to me. Like, um, I'm pretty cool, big, handsome guy. I don't need to be friends with this little uh, nerd from North Dakota. Um, and, and yet, you know, we didn't. We got to know each other and, and we're friends. For all the things that we don't share in common, like there are so many things that we do and, and I think that's just you know I can think of so many beautiful examples of friendship that had I just had we because it is two-way you yeah. know I mean he opened his heart to me I opened my heart to him if we had just stayed on that surface level and not gone any beyond that like we wouldn't have been friends and, and I think that's a part of a part of what this is talking about is you know you can make a, you know, a first impression a quick judgment really quickly but to see someone's heart takes time and, and effort uh, really on both parties and so that's one of the ways I thought about this story is that this call to see people's hearts is a call into relationship. It doesn't just happen as mm -hmm. quick and easy, you know? I mean, you can make, I mean, maybe God can make a snap judgment about someone's heart, but we can't really. That right. takes time to really see see someone for who they are. And when we do it, boy, is it worth it, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I'm sure you guys can think of examples of times where it's like... a lot of people like, I've dismissed yeah. over the years because they weren't whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. It's about relationships. You know, just a side note, I'm... I bet sometimes when we judge a book by it's a by by the cover, it's a form of us protecting ourselves. Sure, mm, yeah. you know, it, it's so easy to 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 look at someone and think that they're threatening and immediately judge them and not give them a chance. Yeah. And that's that's self protection. Sometimes self protection isn't the healthiest thing to do. Right. You know, you can kind of miss out on yeah great experiences and friendships that you could be really blessed by. I really do believe God comes into the places that, that when we become vulnerable. Yeah. And that's what we would have to do. Yeah. You have to become vulnerable. Yeah. I think this transitions well to thinking about this next topic because, you know, in this story, Samuel is chosen to go and choose the next king. And so David then is chosen to be king. And so uh, I want to think a little bit about our chosenness, not only David's chosenness, but our own chosenness. Um, because God chooses and calls, I think, all of us to all these different endeavors. And within our Lutheran tradition, we have this uh, term vocation. And uh, I, I looked up in, in a very good book, a definition of vocation. Uh, the book is called Crazy Talk, a not-so-stuffy dictionary of theological terms. Um, and this word vocation, here's the definition they give. Now get ready, it's kind of circular and goes a little uh, crazy here. But uh, I'll read it at least once or twice here. Uh, the thing, so this is vocation. The thing you do that was given to you to do in the way you do for the benefit of those you are doing it for. <laughs> okay, so like, I know that's circular. Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> uh, but uh, so here's what it's basically getting at. It's this idea that God gifts us and calls us 
to serve all of these different roles, to be uh, certain things and to do certain things uh, for the people around us. And so that may be a job or a career, but it's all kinds of other things that God calls us to that you know we're gifted in. So David was called to be king, but he was also later called to be uh, a father and a husband. And some of those things he did really well. Some of those sometimes he had failings in, and that's true for all of us. Uh, we aren't called just to do things that we're really good at, but sometimes they stretch us and help us to grow. Uh, and so again, I'm going to read this definition again now. Uh, it, it is this. To, <laughs> vocation is the thing you do that was given to you to do in the way that you do for the benefit of those you are doing it for. <laughs> so thinking a little <laughs> bit about vocation and this kind of funny definition, uh, what are some of the different vocations that you have been called to? Well, I was called to be a mom. Yeah. Three times. That's a pretty big one. It's a big one. It's a big one. That's your list of three. My three. Mom, yep. mom, mom. <laughs> Kirsten Ben Luke. <laughs> Top three. It is, uh, it's, it's fun to think about um, what I've been called to do besides what I'm working in. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Like I think of hospitality. I love, sure. I love cooking for people. I love having people in my yeah. home and welcoming them in and just kind of making making a moment out of it that's yeah it. and I, I hope I do it well sure I mean people keep coming back so that's a good sign that's <laughs> yeah a good that sign. is a good sign <laughs> uh you know I'm thinking I was reminded of this Frederick Beekner quote who in talking about calling and being chosen in vocation he said this the place God calls you to is where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet and so that there is kind of like you're getting at people keep coming back you know because not only is it something that you think that you are good at and that you enjoy but it brings gladness to the people around it meets the hunger in some cases literally if you're having people over for dinner uh, but it meets a hunger that the world has i love that way of thinking about vocation mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. these things that we do we don't just do for some abstract reason because we're we're called but because there is also then this sense of affirmation that this not only feels good for me to be doing, but it is being appreciated by people. And, you know, I think of, you know, parenting is a great example where sometimes that's very much the case. Like I feel so afraid, like, yes, this is such a great and wondrous calling. And then sometimes I'm pulling my hair out because mm-hmm. it's hard and frustrating. And that's the thing with vocation. I mean, David gets called to be king. Some days he'll do great. Some days he's not. That's the whole idea. Per- almost perfect, but not quite. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how we meet callings too, I think. Not to do them perfectly, but to, I mean, what else could we do? This is what we're called to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In my um, career, um, twice I have left working in a church in the ministry sure. because, for various reasons, and each time I did that, I was called back into it. Um, it was it's what I was shaped to do, and so even though I tried to yeah. leave and do something different, God found a way of bringing me back in. And this last time uh, was into seminary, and so I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. (laughs) And that's good to know. But it isn't just people that work in a church or um, that are called. It's it's any vocation that you do that you are passionate about, Mm -hmm. no matter what it is. Yeah. Or it's, you know, your, your life's being a mom, being a dad, being a parent, being a friend, being a spouse, um, whatever. Right. And I think that's such an important thing, too. We often, like, I think 
So the history of the term is in Martin Luther's time, vocation calling was used just for the clergy. Mm -hmm. And he kind of turned that idea on its head and said, well, no, I mean, I'm pretty sure that being called to be a parent is just as important as being called to be yeah. a clergy, per, priest, maybe even more so, because we need a lot more parents than we need priests. And, um, and But again, not only just parents, but that all of these different elements of our life are important callings and uh, and so I think that a part of that is that we all have multiple callings we all have multiple vocations that are all really important uh, not only to us but to the world around us mm -hmm. yeah. any other big vocations that jump out to you or that you think about well I think what we're doing here sure is a new vocation for us we're we're talking to you without you being here and and you know, we've gotten a little more accustomed to this format, but I still look out at all of our pew chairs mm -hmm. and they're empty. Well, they're filled with a lot of stuff, but we <laughs> miss you. And so yeah. it's a vocation and, and working together like this, being the body of Christ and being the church looks different right now. But yeah. it's what we're called to do. Right. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so I do thank you uh, profusely and want to thank you over and over again for the ways that you are continuing to be church, for the ways that you're engaging in this community online and, um, and through just the things that we can't see, the phone calls to friends and just uh, continuing to be there for one another. That is a true blessing and gift. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I know what we could do to bring us together, too. Let's do something together this week. Let's do a yes. psalm challenge. <laughs> yes. What's we, a psalm challenge, Well, Lisa? let me tell you, we're going to do a psalm <laughs> challenge because David wrote a lot of them, half of yeah. them. And I would like to invite you to dig into Psalm 139 that we read this morning. And every day, read it. And you're going to dwell with that text and just notice what you're picking out and, and thinking about as you read it each day. There's your psalm challenge. So even if you do it once or twice, still do it, and then we'll talk about it again. I think that would be neat, and we'll be all doing it together. Um, I'm going to invite Taylor to read a part of that for us. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us. You can find more information about Elk River Lutheran Church at our website, elkriverlutheran.org. And if you'd like to give to support this podcast and the other ministries of the church, just click that Give button at the top of the homepage. Thanks again, and have a great week. Don't take money, don't take fame, but it might just save your life to be powered by love.